Well, this is a special weekend here at Valley Christian Church as we are actually going to be ordaining uh, four new pastors on staff. And so uh, we're doing something a little bit different we don't do too often. Uh, Normally I like to do a series of messages, but this is what we call a standalone message uh, because I think the occasion is very fitting for it. And and we want to talk about stepping up because that's what these four people are doing. Uh, They've been in the church and and, uh, three of them have, have really for years been in our church family. Three have been on staff for a short period of time. Uh, one is an intern, and, um, and then uh, one has joined the staff, but also grew up in the church uh, not far from here in Connecticut, and, and has served for many, many years there as well. And, and so that's Jamie Farragella uh, is going to be ordained as executive pastor. Um, Jamie has been an elder in this church. He was my youth leader when I was growing up. That's a long time ago, and, uh, and, and, and he's been an elder for oh, 30 years uh, in the church. Mike Tallarico has been a member of the church for many years and uh, actually met his wife, Dawn. They were married here in this church, and uh, Mike has been on staff for about a year. And then Jasmine Johnson grew up in the church. I've known Jasmine since she was two years old, had no front teeth or anything like that. And uh, thank the Lord, they've grown in, and, uh, and she's done... She's done She's she's done an internship, and uh, and it's just great. Uh, such an asset to our staff. She's done an internship in student ministry, and we're going to be ordaining her as our student ministry pastor. Uh, and then she just married uh, just just a couple weeks ago, and I actually said I think Jasmine Johnson. She's Jasmine Francis now, and uh, her husband Stephen. I, I met him a couple years ago. I offered him a job a year ago, and he accepted. And after he accepted, I agreed that I'd officiate their wedding. And so uh, Stephen is. Join us. Uh, Stephen and Jasmine met at Liberty University, and uh, Jasmine has a, a bachelor's degree in uh, biblical studies, and and uh, and Stephen actually has a master's degree in biblical studies as well. And so uh, they are game on twenty somethings, and we're just so thrilled with all four of these staff members. And, and so with that in mind, I want to talk about stepping up tonight and talk about leadership and, and what the Bible says about leadership. And I'll be honest with you, it's one of my favorite topics. It's one of my favorite uh, things to talk about and write about on my blog and this sort of thing and, and teach on other places as well. And, and so. So this has been a real challenge for me is to, uh, not so much what to say, but what not to say. And, and because the Bible has so much to say about leadership, most of what we understand of leadership in the church has nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, the Bible's real clear about leadership, but there's also kind of a Christian culture that's grown up that, that is kind of extra biblical. It, it, you can't find it in the scripture. And so we're going back to the scripture. And what does the Bible actually have to say uh, about leadership? And, and there's four important things that, that I want to look at tonight uh, that, that I think are right for this occasion and this weekend that's so huge in the life of our church. And, and forgive me for being a little melancholy, but it was 25 years ago uh, and a month that I was ordained as a pastor in this church. And and so I know what this means to these four folks. I know what this means to the church family, uh, to to have four people that are really stepping up in this way. And and not only that, but you know what? We all can step up because each one of these have served Jesus in the church right where they are for years and years and years. And so this is not a culmination of a process. It's a recognition of, a, of something that God's doing, has been doing it through their lives for some time. But in some ways, it's almost a start. It's a, it's a new start as well as they are stepping up. So here's the first thing I think is important about leadership in the church that we, we understand is that there's a separation that takes place with a leader. A, a leader's separation. That's what it means to lead. You don't lead from behind. 
You don't bark orders. The way that you lead is you lead from out in front. You separated from those that you're leading. And, and it's pretty interesting. There's biblical precedent for this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, uh, this is the book of Acts. This is the early history of the church. It covers about 30, uh, maybe 40 years, the first 30 or 40 years of the Christian church, uh, the history of it from the birth uh, through the 30 or 40 years. And it says in Acts 13, Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, watch this now, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Saul, we understand, is actually Paul, the apostle, who wrote about almost two-thirds of the New Testament. But it's while they're in a time of worship that God speaks to them and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. That's what it means. That's one of the first things in terms of a leader, you're set apart. And there's all kinds of kind of uh, uh, biblical words that, that really uh, also say this thing. You might have heard the word before, consecrate. It means the same thing, set them apart. Or, or we, say, we talk, use the word ordination. We're going to ordain pastor. That's what it means to set them apart for a, specific, for a specific purpose, to fulfill a specific purpose. And, and so there's a separation that happens in a leader's life. It doesn't mean he's disconnected or she's disconnected from others, but, but anyone who has any form of leadership at all, you, you understand that even parent to child, parents are somewhat separated from their children. That's how they parent them. It's not by being their buddy. That's the goal of parenting. But the way that we parent, especially the younger the child is, is that I'm dad, your child, you listen to me. Of course, it's not like that in the church in the same way, but you understand what we're saying. There's this separation that takes place. Set aside for a particular task or function. It also means this, this idea of setting apart, it means to appoint for a specific purpose. To appoint for a specific purpose. The dictionary definition of the word ordination, that's what we do to pastors. We lay hands on them and we ordain them as pastors, as clergy, uh, is defined as the process by which individuals are consecrated, that is set apart as clergy, to perform various religious rites and ceremonies. And so every one of these that that are going to be ordained as a pastor this weekend, they'll be able to, in the eyes of the government, uh, in New York State and, and the federal government as well, they'll be able to officiate weddings and, and funerals and there's other things that they'll legally be able to do because now they're set apart. They're ordained as pastors. So the first thing that, that uh, when we talk about leadership is there's a separation that happens. The second thing is let's look at a leader's role. What's the role of a leader? Uh, what do they really do? Now, typically, when you think about, or I do anyway, I think about uh, putting someone in leadership in the church. Uh, typically, I think of 1 Timothy, where Paul gives an outline of, of what we call overseers and qualifications of overseers or an elder or deacon. Uh, you may not have known this before. It's pretty wild. Like I said, all this culture that's grown up uh, that's not necessarily biblical. Do you know how many times the word pastor appears in the New Testament? Twice. It is the least used title of any role in the church in the New Testament. And yet that's the one we call everyone, pastor, 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 pastor. It's only two times. Depending on what translation you use, English translation, sometimes it's once. And so there are all kinds of other roles. There's apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, elder, deacon. Pastor's the least used of all of those different words for leadership. And almost every single occasion, none of those words are titles. They're not names. They're functions. We've made them titles. Sometimes people ask me, what should I call you? I say, my name's Greg. 
my parents call me that. It still works, you know. I just, I, you know, how weird would that be for my wife to say, Pastor Greg. She calls me other things. I'm Pastor. And I'm not sharing those love, love names with you. Hunk a hunk of burning love. But anyway, that's, that's uh, but, but they're not, they're, none of these things are titles. They're all descriptive as functions. And so I think it's important that we understand that. So I would naturally go to 1 Timothy, but you know what? I was like, no, I want to I take a fresh look at this. And so instead of going to 1 Timothy, we'll look at it a little bit, but I want to go to 1 Peter. Because Peter addresses leadership in the local church. And it's amazing the insights that the Holy Spirit, God himself, gives Peter into leadership. And so let's look at a leader's role here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And what I want to do is I want to read this passage, maybe make a quick comment or two, and then I want to break it down, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. We'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, and this is what it says. And now a word to you who are elders in the church. Now, this word elder here, this first one, this first use of this word elder here is pretty interesting. This is the Greek word presbyteros. It's where we get our word, and it's a whole form of church government, presbytery, presbyterian. And it means a, 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 joint, a group of elders. And so he says, and now a word to you who are presbyteroses, elders in the church. It's not saying old men. That is a way, but the context is presbyteros. It's government. They have roles of leadership. I, too, am a elder. Now look at that. That word is elders, presbyteros. That word is not presbyteros in Greek. It's a completely different word. This is the Greek word episkopos. And so I hope I'm not putting you to sleep here, talking Greek a little bit, but it helps us to understand. He says, and now a word to you who are presbyteroses in the church. I, too, am a episkopos. This is where we get another form of church government, episcopalian. What is that word? Episkopos is our word bishop. That means there's a person who has responsibility, and there may be presbyteros, other elders under it, but there is the lead elder, the presbyteros, the bishop. These are all real good biblical terms. Important that we kind of have some sort of idea here. And so it says, I too am a episcopos. I too am a bishop. I am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his joy when he is revealed to the whole world as a fellow elder. Now think about this for a minute. If anyone had a right to say, I am all that in a bag of chips, you better call me Apostle Peter. And don't call me Peter, and don't call me Pete. You call me Apostle. <laughs> but what does Peter do? He says, I'm a fellow elder. This is the one that Jesus said, you're, you're not Cephas, you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And he's saying, I'm just like the rest of you. Do you hear the humility in that? He says, I'm just like the rest of the elders in the local church. This is just amazing to me when you just peel back some of the, the original language here. And he says, I appeal to you, and he goes on, and he says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. That's one of the reasons why at Valley Christian Church, you know, church membership, partnership is a big deal. Why? Because we need to know those that are entrusted to us, not just passing through, not just on the peripheral. 
We're supposed to care for the flock of God that's entrusted to us. Watch over them willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, but because, of your e- because you are eager to serve God. And then it goes on and says, don't lord it over the people. There it is again, look at that. Assigned to your care. As the lead pastor of this church, I need to know who's assigned to my care. Who says, this is where I'm committed, and I recognize God's assigned me here, he's placed me here in this church family, and then I have responsibility. And the, the, the staff, the other pastors, we have responsibility. And so it says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Ding, 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 ding. Not do as I say, do as I do. Big key right there for leadership in the church. Follow my example. And when the great shepherd, now this is the word, this is where we get our word pastor from, but it's not pastor, it's not translated as that. It's shepherd throughout the Bible. Like David was a shepherd. The great shepherd appears. Who's that? Jesus is the great shepherd. We are, in the sense, every pastor in the world is the under-shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Man, and that's what I'm shooting for as a pastor. A crown of never-ending glory and honor. If I do my job that I've been called to. And so let's break this down, a leader's role. Here's the first thing. A leader's role. A leader is called to be a minister to the people. A minister to the people. Peter exhorts uh, the, the leaders to shepherd their flock, serving them before they're served. So important that, that any leader, leader means that you're a servant. As a lead pastor of this church, I'm supposed to be the greatest servant in our church family. That's why I was working on this message at 7.30 this morning. Servant, how it can serve and when I get ready to give a message, I have to know, I put in the time, I put in the effort, I put in the prayer, I put in the study, so I can serve you to the best of my ability. This is what he says, First Peter 5, the first part of verse 2, he says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. And we take that responsibility very seriously. And as our church is growing, I need more help. Need more help to care for the flock that's been entrusted to us because the flock is growing really, really quick. Last week, for instance, we had 932 people in attendance at Valley Christian Church. 12 months ago, June, it was like 612. Just growing, exponential. We've had over 875 first-time guests walk through the door since January 1st. And a lot of them staying. Well, I'm saying this is where God, um, God's entrusted me here. And, and so a minister, we have to be a minister to the people. They're God's flock, not mine. The sheep don't belong to me. The sheep belong to Jesus. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And, but, but it is important. This is why we do need to know who are those specific people that are entrusted to our care. And so that we can serve those. Here's the, I, I heard this quote. Man, I think this is so true when it comes to leadership. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. We, 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 we don't even consider someone 
who's in our church, doesn't matter how gifted, how wonderful, great personality, if they're not serving, we don't even consider them for any more responsibility. We're not going to give someone responsibility who doesn't serve. Because Jesus even said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Even the chief shepherd, he said, I'm here to serve. By the way, I looked this up. I couldn't find who said this originally. It just said anonymous all over the internet. But if serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. And, and so first thing is that, that a leader is to be a minister to the people. The second thing is, this, is a manager of the people. First a, a minister to the people and then a manager of the people. Peter calls them to exercise oversight over those entrusted to their care. Look at the second part of verse 2 of 1 Peter 5. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly. Oh, these people. (laughs) Willingly, in a willful heart. And all the more reason, again, uh, do you see why it's so important? It's not so we can just say, hey, look at how many members we have or partners. It's so we can really watch over them willingly because I have to give an account before God for those that have been entrusted into my care and the care of the pastors here in the Valley family. And so we also have to be a manager of the people. Here's the third thing about a leader. It's supposed to be a mentor of people, a mentor to the people. Peter asked them to eagerly invest in the flock with their time, with their energy, with, with, with uh, our experience as well. Not as lords over or out of obligation, but as examples. Look at the uh, last part of verse 2 and verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Not for what you'll get out of it. Listen, I've been a pastor a long time. I know a lot of pastors. I have never once met anyone who said, you know what, I feel like God's called me to be a pastor because I want to make it rich. Ain't nobody in this for the money that I've ever met before because it just doesn't happen. Not for what you're going to get out of it. Why would anyone want to be on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? I've been in Florida and had to cancel my family vacation to come back to New York to perform funeral before. That's life. That's what it means to be a pastor. Not for what you get out of it but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. So important. We need to be concerned all the time as leaders in the church about what we're giving, not what we're getting. Guy I like to read on, online, he's a real... Uh, Great, does great blog posts and all. His name's Scott Williams, real close to my name. I have a brother, Scott, but this is not him. That's William's son is my name. But uh, Scott Williams put it this way. An insecure leader is much more dangerous than an overly confident one. I've seen that. Insecure leaders will tear up and destroy churches just out of their own insecurity. And, And yet so many times we hear, don't be overconfident, don't be overconfident. What happens to an overconfident leader? You know what happens? Not much. Not much fruit because they overestimate, you know, what's really happening because they're overconfident. But an insecure leader will manipulate and will control and, and will lord it over other people and destroy something that God's actually trying to do out of their own insecurity. And, and so it's so important that we really are role models that we can say, follow the example I'm living to really mentor. And here's the fourth thing. We're supposed to be as leaders in the church, a model for people, a model for people to follow. 
People tells them, uh, Peter tells us uh, to be examples to the flock and demonstrate how to live, and can I put this, how to love. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And then verse 4, and when the great shepherd, see, that's my boss. I, I, I work for God. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And do you hear something in that also? If someone's looking to be appreciated, being a pastor is the wrong occupation because it's delayed reward. I'm so thankful for the Valley family. I feel loved and I feel appreciated. I, I do. But you know what? That's, that's not what it's about for me. It's about one day looking Jesus Christ in the eyes and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'm after. And, and also, this, this is pretty cool to think about this crown of never-ending glory and honor. That's going to be cool in eternity. I might not be able to keep my head up. That's what I'm after. It'll be so big. That's what I hope for anyway, what I'm working toward. And so lead by example, not by force. Why? He's the great shepherd. Listen, Greg's not the great pastor. Uh, none of these that we're going to be ordaining this weekend are the great pastors. He's the great shepherd. There's no one like him. He's the shepherd of the sheep, ultimately, and we follow his lead. I love how Ezekiel 34, 15 puts it. I myself, God is speaking here. This is what he says. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. Not Greg. Not Greg Williamson. The sovereign Lord says, I'll tend my sheep. Greg, you follow me, I'll take care of them. You follow my instructions, they'll lay down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. And this is why the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Christian church in Corinth, he put it this way, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And let me just add to that kind of a parenthesis, coming from Greg Williamson. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And if I ever get off track, you keep following Jesus and ignore me. I think that's so important. Because Jesus is the one we're supposed to be following, not any other man. And, and Paul's saying, as long as I'm following Christ, you keep following me. But, but, but if I begin to stray, if I begin to, to fade and to drift, you keep following Jesus Christ. A leader's supposed to be a model to the people. And, and so that's a leader's role. A leader's separation, a leader's role. Now let's look at a leader's motivation. And I want to just now, uh, with this, this point, a leader's motivation, I just want to give a series of questions based on what we just read there, 1 Peter 5. And, and this is for those four that are going to be ordained uh, as pastors this weekend. But, but it's also for all of us because the Bible says in 1 Timothy that if someone desires to be a leader, that's a good thing. That's a noble thing. I think it's in the heart of everyone. I, I want more responsibility. I want to serve God in an even greater and increasing way. In the church, I think it's a great place to start. And so here's some questions based on 1 Peter 5, what we just read, talking about a leader's motivation. Because you know what I've learned in ministry? The why is always more important than the what. We can be doing the right thing, but if it's for the wrong reason, it's wrong. So here's a series of questions. When you lead, do you remember Christ's example? 
That's the example we're supposed to follow as leaders, 1 Peter 5.1. Second question, when you shepherd, do you do it out of obligation or privilege? Not supposed to. Not supposed to. You'll notice there's no parking spot for Pastor Greg out front. Although people have many times said, hey, why don't we, I don't want that. I don't want any special treatment. I don't want any special treatment. Sunday mornings, I park next door. Make room for other people over here. Not out of privilege, not out of obligation. It's supposed to be an example of a servant. Number three, when you serve, are you motivated by the will of God or men, trying to impress men? I remember growing up, there was a guy in the church, <laughs> you know, pastor's kids. I, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and, uh, you know, we have a different sense of humor. And there was a guy in the church, uh, his, we used to refer to him as uh, Mr. Wannabe and Elder. And, uh, and he used to run the sound. This is back in the old days, and he had a podium with this one microphone that would come up like this. And my father was a pastor, and he, he you know, he'd start preaching, and, and there'd be something wrong with the sound, and he would tap it or something like that. And then Mr. Wannabe and Elder would walk out from the back and he'd grab that microphone stand and go and then push a button. Every week. Every week. And it was just like he just wanted everybody to see. Look at me. You know? And my siblings and I were sitting in the front row we're going like, why can't you do this before the service starts? But he wanted to be seen by men. That was what was motivating him. It's not supposed to be that way. By the way, he never became a leader in the church, just funny that way. How about this one, number four? When you minister, are you driven by personal gain or godly passion? First Peter chapter five, verse two. I'll tell you this, the first, when I was hired at this church, sure wasn't for personal gain. They couldn't even pay me for the first three months. I didn't get paid. I was promised. I didn't get paid. First five years, three years, I was an associate pastor, and then I became the lead pastor. Didn't get a raise. Right now, we hire interns that get paid more than what I did as a senior pastor at this church not that long ago. It surely wasn't for personal gain. Because God had a passion, give me a passion to serve Him in this way. Number five, when you influence, does your example speak clearly? When, you're, when you influence others, does your example speak clearly? In other words, can they look at your life and your life backs up your words? Doesn't mean perfect, but it sure means consistent with what you're saying. Number six, when you sacrifice, can you wait for the ultimate reward or must it be immediate? This is what we're talking about, that, that crown of glory. Delayed gratification. A leader's motivation. These are some great questions you just kind of process through no matter what responsibility that you have because it's all for Jesus, whether it's in the church or in the job, whatever. Do everything to the glory of God, the Bible says. And so now here's, here's a leader's charge. In, in 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy is an incredible book about church leadership as Paul is really coaching up a young leader named Timothy. And he charges him with five different things. And I just want to look at those charges real quickly in the time that we have together. Five different charges to a leader in the church from 1 Timothy. 
First of all, Paul says to this young pastor, fight passionately. That might not be the first thing that come to your mind for a pastor, would it? Fight passionately. 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19 says, Timothy, my son, which by the way, this was not Paul's natural son, he was his spiritual son, which is a theme all throughout the Bible, by the way, pretty interesting, fascinating study about spiritual sonship. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well the Lord's battle. See, a pastor's not supposed to pick fights, but there is a time when you gotta dig in and you gotta fight for God's sake, for what's right, for what the Lord really wants, what, what the Lord requires. Fight well in the Lord's battles. And so the, the first charge is to fight passionately. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. So the first charge that we see is fight passionately. Here's the second one. Fight passionately, live properly. Live properly. 1 Timothy 3.15, God's Word translation, I love how it puts it, it says, I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Did you know that's what the Bible describes the Christian church as? It is the pillar and the foundation of what is really true. That means what? That means we've got to live right. We each, especially as leaders, we need to live properly. The third charge that Paul gives to this young pastor, Timothy, who, by the way, most scholars believe was probably 30, says focus totally. Focus totally. Have incredible laser-like focus. 1 Timothy 4.15, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. And it goes on, he says, Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teachings. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. See, when it comes to the life of a leader in the church, when it comes to a pastor, the stakes are much higher than it's my life, I can do with it what I want. In fact, you can't even find that anywhere for a Christian in the Bible because our lives impact others. But, but Paul here charges him and says, you know, stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. I've met too many Christians in my life that have just, just uh, gotten off track and just so disheartened and heartbroken because a leader failed in front of them. And it shouldn't be that way. So have a laser-like focus. And, and then the fourth charge that Paul gives Timothy in 1 Timothy is obey impartially. No favoritism. You can't pick and choose what, what, what's, you know, uh, this, is, this is really, really important in the Bible, but the rest of the stuff, eh, forget about that. Just, just, gonna, just gonna talk all the time on one subject. Can't do that. Obey impartially. And the way that you deal with, other, with people in the church family, obey impartially. No favoritism. 1 Timothy 5.21 says, I solemnly command you. He's really amping it up, isn't he? He's, he's like ramping up like how serious this is. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels. He's trying to get his attention. Obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. 
I mean, just because you're a friend with somebody in the church, don't, don't let things slide in their life that you know are wrong. Can't show favoritism. Obey impartially. And then here's the fifth commandment, the fifth uh, charge in 1 Timothy. Guard diligently. Guard diligently. Paul says, fight passionately, live properly, focus totally, obey impartially, and the fifth thing, guard diligently. 1 Timothy 6.20. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Maybe you've had some discussions like this before. I know I have where someone wants to come and debate something in the Bible. You, you, a fool will never listen. You'll never convince a fool. And, and so this happened 2,000 years ago as well. And so we need to guard as pastors. We need to know. That's why it's important that, that, that every one of these that are going to be ordained as pastors, they're not, they're not newbies. They didn't just become Christian yesterday. They, they know their stuff. They know, their, they know the doctrine. They, they know the teachings of Scripture. I'm not just knowing it with the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're living it out. Well, let me end with this. The last thing I think is important, and this is just real personal for my own life, I want to give a little reminder. <laughs> a little reminder Last week, in our staff meeting, as, as Stephen Francis joined our staff for the first time, we have staff lunch on every Thursday, and we kind of debrief on what happened the previous weekend, and we plan and, and talk about what's moving on, uh, what's coming up and in the future. And in the staff meeting, I just asked the, the staff, I said, why don't we just talk about the culture of our staff, the culture of our church, and, and just share with Stephen right now the number one most important thing that you've learned being on staff in terms of ministry and leadership. Man, there was some great, great points that, that the whole staff, I mean, it literally, our staff fills the entire cafe counter just all around both sides and all. It's a pretty awesome team. And then it came to my time. And I guess I'm kind of the old guy just in terms of 25 years on staff. And I said, here's the most important thing. And so this is a reminder, I think, to all those that are going to be ordained as pastors, and really to every one of us. I was five years old when I've heard God speak to me the first time. And you know what he said? What he did not say is, I want you to be a pastor. He didn't say, I want you to be a preacher. He didn't say, I want you to one day to be a great husband. I, I want you to be a father. He didn't say, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. You know what, five years old, in a little house in Brunswick, Georgia, the day we were moving up to New York, packing up the house, I was playing in the backyard, and he just spoke to me. And you know what I felt like God said to me? Greg, I want you for my own. He said, I want you for my own. And over the last 25 years, good times, struggles, challenges, 
confusion. Times of appreciation, times when I didn't feel appreciated. I've always gone back to that. That the first and the foremost thing is this. Jesus called me to himself before he ever asked me to do anything for him. And and I think to be a, a leader in the church, you can't get very far away from that. It's not about all the stuff. It's about that relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And the times that have gotten the most tough for me in 25 years is when I've lost sight of that. Just that simplicity. Greg, I want you for my own. I want you for myself. And so that's my reminder to not just those that are gonna be ordained this weekend as pastors, but I, I think to every single one of us. The first thing, the most important thing in life is our relationship with Jesus Christ and following him. And so I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your faithfulness to, to bring men and women into our church family that have a desire to serve you by serving the Valley family. And Lord, I, I, I know that, Lord, we look at the pages of Scripture and we just say, who, who could ever do that? And, and I, I feel undone when I even read these words that we've talked about tonight. But I thank you, Lord, that we're growing. And, and not just for Jamie Farragella and Mike Tellerico and Stephen and Jasmine Francis, but, but Lord, I think for all of us, you're just asking us to step up. Not to be perfect, just to keep growing and progressing. Father, may we each live lives that others would see as examples of what it means to be a Christian what a life looks like that surrendered to you. And may we do it, Lord, not in our own strength, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, as we ordain these four as pastors, I pray that as a church family, we'd welcome them into our hearts. Lord, that, that, that we'd uh, encourage them. And Lord, even more than that, we'd pray for them every day. And that we'd follow these leaders as they follow Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.